0: It's day Everybody has to pay Everybody has to meet his Waterloo <laughs> You know well, that one, surely
1: Welcome to the Napoleon Show, ladies and gentlemen I was going to start off the show with "Mama At Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender Oh, yeah And I have met my destiny In quite a similar way The history book on the shelf But, um uh, singing, trying to sing poorly, I confess, abba. But David beat me to it. Who did you say that one was by David? Well,
0: you know, I have forgotten who that's by. I'll, I, I can look it up while we, uh, while we talk, if you like, but. Uh yeah, it's an old song from the fifties or sixties. That's just the refrain, and I had no idea whatsoever you were recording it when I sang it. Well, or I, I might have tried to do a better job.
1: I wasn't recording, but when I heard your melodious vocals, I thought that's too good to pass up. I got to capture it. <laughs> um, I, I did want to. The reason I wanted to start this episode with some cheesy 70s music was um it's 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 going to be a depressing episode and i wanted to start it upbeat because it's just going to go downhill from here of course this is the napoleon 101 podcast episode 33 the battle of waterloo now it wasn't by the way yeah that is
0: by stonewall jackson 1959
1: See, I was I was saying to David that I felt that the ABBA song Waterloo was probably the most well recognised pop culture reference to the Battle of Waterloo, and David wanted to argue with me that this Stonewall Jackson song, he couldn't even remember the name of the of the performer until he looked it up, was was as well known, and I maybe for your generation, sir, but. Uh, Not for mine. Oh, oh, oh. be careful there, fella. Well, come on, man. I grew up with ABBA. I'm embarrassed to admit. I remember ABBA very well. I didn't know that they were that big in the US.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Anyway, people didn't tune in to listen to ABBA. So we left (laughs) the emperor last time. Uh, he's he's back the emperor in- is
0: rolling over his grave with our singing performances
1: <laughs> too. By the way, quite possibly, uh, he's back in Paris and uh, he's desperately trying to uh, reach out to the other monarchs of Europe and England to create uh, peace, but they are blatantly ignoring him. Returning his letters, returning his consuls that he sends up there. Um, he basically is not getting a word out of them. He, he realizes that it's going to be war, despite all of his best intentions. He knows that they are amassing close to a million troops uh, to come and uh, attack France, they have de- they have announced that they're declaring war on Napoleon, not on the French people, which I think, as we said in the last episode, is 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 quite remarkable. And uh, he decides that he needs to engage early before they have a chance to to get all of these troops together. It's going to take them several months to pull troops from various parts of Europe. The uh, British and the Prussians, correct me if I'm wrong there, David, but I think the British and the Prussians have some forces in the country of Belgium, and this is where Napoleon decides to strike first.
0: Well, hello again, everybody, and hello, Cameron. And and yes, uh, uh, once uh, we finish uh, dealing with uh, the, the music, we will now talk about where Napoleon faced the music. And, and by the way, at the end of the show, I may inflict, uh, now that I've pulled up on on my uh, computer, the actual words to that song. If you're not careful, I may uh, sing the whole bloody thing at the end of the show. Uh, at any rate, uh, Napoleon understands at this stage that that he has to, to take action. He cannot simply sit. And the reason is very simple, and I think we probably discussed it last time. Uh, he has limited forces. And if the the British the Prussians, the Austrians, and the Russians and, and whoever else that wants to get into the act are are allowed to to all come together uh, squeezing France from at the, at the very least the north and the the east uh, then 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 he's in trouble. so what he has to do is find a way to to defeat the enemy uh, why while they're still separated by by many, many hundreds of miles. And as you say, the two forces that are the closest to him are the British and the Prussians, Uh, the British uh, commanded by uh, the Duke of Wellington and the Prussians uh, commanded by uh, uh, Field Marshal uh, Blucher. And and, uh, those two forces are in Belgium, and as luck would have it, they are not even uh, united. They are in two separate locations, uh, and and uh, this is this is tailor made for for Napoleon to strike in in classic fashion. You know, Napoleon was was always known as as fi- for his ability to find a way to divide his enemy and then attack them piecemeal, uh, going going after one wing of the enemy his army were uh, with overwhelming force destroying it or routing it and then turning and going after the other one and and he really thought and I think legitimately so that this was an excellent opportunity for him to uh, to do uh, exactly that and so he prepares on 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 you know the, the weeks uh, leading up to this he's making the various appointments that we've talked about He's, he's making what I believe were, were genuine efforts to achieve peace. And those people who, who question that really only should look at the reality. Even given that he has the, the, the British and Prussians sort of you know, semi-sitting ducks up there in, in, in Belgium, the fact is that those two forces combined uh, significantly outweigh his own forces. It's only because they are already separated. He has much of a chance to to defeat them, uh, and and as I said, the the overall military force that the Allies can bring to bear uh, would mean, at a minimum, a repeat of the campaign of 1814, uh, where Napoleon simply could not be everywhere, and his army was simply overwhelmed by 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 numbers. So he has no interest in doing this. He, he sincerely wants peace. Now whether that peace comes with him as emperor or whether he cuts a deal to, to put his son on the throne and retire gracefully uh, and with dignity, I, I really think that probably was, was an open question to him. Uh, I, I really think that he would have been happy if the allies had come back and said, listen, we, we have a problem with you, but we'll let you retire gracefully and we'll put your son on the throne. He he might very well have gone with that because he recognized that it was going to be a very, very difficult proposition. He he didn't have the complete unanimity of support at home, although he, he said more than once in his career, you give them a victory and they will support me, and, and, and there's a lot of truth to that, had Waterloo... Uh, been a victory uh, then then his his support at home on the domestic front would have been a, a lot stronger uh, but even if he achieves this he has tremendous numbers going against him. So he wants peace, but once it becomes clear that he's not going to gain peace without some kind of a victory, he he rolls the dice once again uh, and and takes the best shot he has and it's not really a bad shot because of the fact that the 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 forces were 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 separated uh, and uh, so Napoleon marches forth on the on the evening of the 11th he he, he has a, a meeting with uh, uh Countess Maria Valeska his his Polish uh, mistress uh, apparently they they talked about her finances which which I find you know almost amazing except that Napoleon would would, would do that sort of thing uh And then, on the twelfth of june he he joins his forces, some of which had already started uh moving moving north He has a a force of about a hundred and twenty five thousand men, which is you know not not an insignificant fighting force and it's it's pretty well equipped. He's had equipment problems uh and, and after eighteen twelve but to a very significant extent the the force that he takes with him. Is his best men and his best equipment. So you know he's he's going to give it his best shot. Uh, he issues orders on on the thirteenth, uh, and 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 by the way, the next day, uh, General Louis Bourmont, who uh, uh, commanded a division of Four Corps, and a number of other officers uh, defected uh, to the enemy and 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 gave uh, the enemy the the plans of of battle and and so on. So it wasn't a a, a very auspicious uh beginning. Uh, I think we mentioned last time Fouché uh had been uh, uh possibly playing both ends against the middle uh as well. You know, never nevertheless uh he he comes on the Prussians uh at Ligny uh on 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 the 16th. Now if you if you don't have a map in front of you, uh, imagine, uh, uh, oh, let's, let's, let's say your, your, uh, your fist with your little knuckle to the left and, and, and your index finger knuckle to the right. And you sort of place that on a map of Belgium, and, and that's what you have. You've got, uh, you've got Wellington's uh, forces, and we'll talk about them later, at Côtre uh, over on the left side. And then uh, not very far away, uh, you you have on on the right side at Charois, uh, excuse me at uh, yeah at Charrois, uh You 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 have uh, uh, the Prussians, and and uh, when Napoleon uh, arrives at Charois, uh, the the uh, Prussians uh, retreat uh, in the direction of, of a little town of, of of Ligny. Now Wellington, of course, is is any of you who have. Watch the the movie waterloo that, that Cameron and I have talked about. Wellington's up in Brussels now, so here's another sort of a break for Napoleon. They've got some communication uh issues here. You've got the two armies separate and and wellington is is partying down in Brussels. It's sort of the opposite of the problem in uh uh, uh the Congress of vienna where where everybody is 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 so close so uh you know he he hears uh, about uh uh the 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 arrival of 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 the french and 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 of napoleon and uh he's obviously unamused and and has to quickly begin to organize his forces napoleon mean meanwhile is doing very well he he moves up the the middle of the hand in my example and 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 the the uh, Prussians by now are over at Ligny on the far right, uh, the index knuckle, uh, and uh, he sends Marshal Ney with a force at Quatrebras, which is about six miles uh, northwest of, of, of Ligny. So I, I say it's not very far, but it's far enough that they're, you know, they're divisible, and, and that's what Napoleon has to do. So the idea is is very, very simple. It's classic Napoleon, and there's no reason why it shouldn't work first of all. you send a small force to keep the British at bay now as 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 they don't really quite realize uh there's there's not even a full major British force at Bras yet, uh so he sends Ney over there to to deal with them, try to defeat them. he's supposed to. To take action, not just stand there, but take action. Uh, and then uh, he, Napoleon, is going to go over against uh, Ligny with the the major part of his his force and defeat the the Prussians. Uh, he he needs uh, he needs to work with speed. He needs to have some secrecy, and he everything has to go well. The execution has to be. Pretty much perfect for this plan to work because he doesn't have a lot of, of, of wiggle room here. He doesn't have a lot of, of room for things to go uh, poorly because he simply doesn't have the forces uh, that would allow that to, to 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 happen to to have a recovery from that. So we we now have the stage set for the the preliminary moves of Waterloo. Lignier works really quite well, okay? Uh, the only real problem with Ligny, from the beginning at least, is that Napoleon arguably should not have sent Ney to Quatre-Blanc, Quatre-Blanc. if If he'd kept his, his entire army together, six miles was enough that chances are he could have completely destroyed the prussians before wellington could do anything especially since as it turns out there was only a forward uh, group at 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 Cattabra anyway but he didn't do that he split his own army which negates at least to some extent his uh advantage over over blucher nevertheless he he he, he does that uh Ney is supposed to take action against the British forces. The first thing that goes wrong in this, after Napoleon makes this initial error, is that Ney twiddles his thumbs. Ney is convinced, apparently, that he is facing, with a relatively small force, and I I don't recall how many he had, this huge British army. And he doesn't do adequate reconnoitering to find out just what it is. And so, as a result, at first, the British are reinforcing that area. So after a while, they really is facing a major force. And then they use that force, the power of that force, to make a, a, a reasonable withdrawal uh, up toward Brussels, and in fact, up toward uh, Waterloo. So that part's not going to go too well. We'll get back to that in a minute. On the other hand... Uh, Napoleon moves uh, quickly against uh, Blucher, and and the battle uh, really goes goes quite well. Uh, on the sixteenth, uh, he is uh, uh, Blucher is forced to to uh, withdraw into very defensive positions, and, and indeed it's pretty clear that his position is untenable. And indeed, at one point, Blucher actually is down and overrun by a unit of French uh, cuirassiers. And they didn't realize who was there. If they had realized that it and either killed him or captured him, the whole history of this campaign <clears throat> might have become very, very different. Uh, but they didn't. And so uh, we'll, I'll pause for air here so that you can uh, make a comment uh, with Napoleon poised for the coup de grace against Blücher.
1: All right. Well, I've got uh, some quotes from Napoleon here. This was part of his uh, um, announcements to the army on the eve of the war on the 14th. Soldiers, this is the anniversary of Marengo and of Friedland that twice decided the fate of Europe. Then, as after Wagram, as after Austerlitz, we were too generous. We believed in the protestations and in the oaths of the princes whom we left on their thrones. And now, coalized against us, they are aiming at the independence and the most sacred rights of France. They have begun an unjust aggression. Forward! Let us march against them. Are not they and we the same men? "'Soldiers, you were one against three at Haina, "'against these same arrogant Prussians. "'At Montmorat, you were one against six. "'Madmen, a moment's prosperity has blinded them. "'If they enter France, they will find their graves. "'Soldiers, we have forced marches to make, "'battles to fight, dangers to encounter.' But with constancy, the victory will be ours. The rights, the honour of our country will be reconquered. For every Frenchman who has courage, the moment has come to conquer or to die. The next morning, as Charleroi, he writes, he says, Good morning, Nay. I am glad to see you. You can assume command of the First and Second Corps. Push the enemy back along the Brussels road and take position at Carte Bras. I like that. I just like that. I am glad. Good morning, Nay. I am glad to see you. just works for me. Um, He says on... uh, Well, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves here. I've also got some stuff from um, your old friend, Mr. Chandler. Basically, uh, and, you know, obviously Mr. Chandler was uh, British, and we've had quite a bit of discussion on the site recently in the comments section from the last show about... Wellington's merits as a great general. According to David Chandler, Wellington deserves little credit for the part he played in attempting to thwart Napoleon's plans on June 15th. His first order was to prepare his men to march away from the critical area. Although later that evening a belated dispatch from Blücher at last revealed that the Prussians were marching on Sombref in force, these tidings did not cause the Duke to alter his basic dispositions immediately. Indeed, at 10pm, shortly before setting out to attend the celebrated ball given by the Duchess of Richmond in Brussels, Wellington issued a set of further instructions which, in general, confirmed the concentration towards the outer flank, although it closed the various divisions into a somewhat tighter compass. And basically... It was up to his men to disregard his orders when they could see what was happening. So uh, was Wellington's information lines just poor? What was he doing going to a ball when there was a battle happening, when Napoleon was marching forces on him? What was he doing going to a bloody dance?
0: Well, I don't think they really fully understood what Napoleon was up to. I really think that
1: this is... It's Napoleon! This is one it's not like yeah, but, oh here's Jimmy come lately uh we don't need to worry about him we'll go to a dance it's bloody Napoleon well,
0: I think he went to the dance I don't I don't know that he understood that that it was Napoleon and 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 just exactly what kind of forces they were up against uh <clears throat> and uh you know it's 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 a little hard uh, hard to say uh why he would have done that uh, in any event however <clears throat> there's no question that uh uh, Napoleon caught them off guard and caught them in a, a a position that Napoleon should have been able to to take fine advantage of, and initially did uh, begin to. Uh, he he did find them split, as we've said. I, I really think he, he's made a number of mistakes. The first mistake he's made, of course, uh, was splitting his forces. I, 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 to this day I wish he would have just kept Ney with him and s- sort of turned backs on the you know put some shielding cavalry out to keep an eye on the British and just turned and just wiped out the Prussians because the the only real way that Napoleon is going to be successful and, and, and we know how it turns out but we, we could have predicted this at the time is if he can eliminate whoever he attacks first. Eliminate them either by destroying them or by sending them packing. And he has a chance to do that with the Prussians. And indeed, he thought he was successful. We'll get to that in a second. But the reality is he needed to go in with even more overwhelming force. And he tried to do that. And this is one of the most famous fiascos. In military history, in in any campaign, uh, General Jean Baptiste Erlong, okay, who commanded a French corps, and the, for this this corps was was uh, over on on the left flank, Napoleon's left flank. So it was sort of between uh, Napoleon's forces and 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 Ney's forces, okay. Uh, Napoleon sends direct orders through his subordinates to Derlon to move straight across toward Ligny and come in really from the Prussian rear. Okay, uh, Remember, Caterbra is a little bit uh, north, so we're not coming directly in from the south against Ligny, we're coming in sort of from the, the southwest, so... If you swing around to the, to the left a little bit more, uh, d'Aerloin, if he goes straight across, will come in you know, to, the, to the right flank, and actually the rear part of the right flank of, of uh, the, the Prussians, and do another famous Napoleonic maneuver, you know, of, 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 of enveloping uh, uh, the, 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 the enemy. And, and at that point, the Prussians will be toast. There's absolutely no question about it. So Derlon begins to do exactly that, okay? Uh, and things go, go bad immediately. In fact, you know, the old expression, things go south, means things go bad. Well, literally things went south, because Derlon, uh, either because of Napoleon's orders not being adequately translated uh, by suit, or, or for some other reason, makes a wrong turn, and instead of ending up behind the Prussians, ends up a lot further south behind Napoleon. And Napoleon, of course, when he finds out, is, is uh Things are corrected. And uh, uh, Darlon begins to move to exactly where he's supposed to be. They've lost some time, but things have stagnated a bit, so, so all is not lost. And then comes the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in any of my studies of this stuff. An order from Marshal Ney arrives, okay, to Darlon, ordering him to come back to Quatrebras, to Ney's right flank, so they can move against the British. Ney apparently has decided it's time to do more than twiddle your thumbs. Well, <laughs> Darlon is a little bit in the middle on this. i'll I'll grant him that. On the other hand, you've got an order from the Emperor directed through his chief of staff, and you've got an order from your your direct commander, you know, Marshal Michel Ney, who, Cameron, would you obey? The Emperor? Or nay?
1: Well, it's, it's a good question. But is there a, a doubt in his mind as to the overlapping timing of the orders and, and who might have access to more timely information about the movement of the troops?
0: Well, I don't think so. I, I think it really comes down to do you follow your emperor or do you follow your marshal? And again, I, I give... I, I give uh, the general, you know, some slack. I cut him some slack because he is between kind of a rock and the hard place here. Uh, and I also give Ney slack because apparently no one had sent Ney a copy of the letter ordering Derlon to come to Napoleon's assistance. So Ney may very well not have understood what Darlan was up to—it's possible. I mean, I, I don't really know uh, for sure on that. But it, my my understanding is of, of it is that that Ney was probably a bit out of the loop. And now we get back to Marshal Berthier. Marshal Berthier, had he been alive and had he been Napoleon's chief of staff, would never ever have allowed a situation like that to exist there would have been clearly defined orders, and they would have been sent to all people involved, not just General Derlon, but also uh, Marshal Ney. But it didn't happen with Sewell. It didn't happen. And so as a result, uh, Derlon is, as I say, uh, many, many times he's, he's caught in, in the middle. Uh, but for whatever reason, whether he's confused about his orders whether he's intimidated by Michel Ney, and, you know, Ney's a very intimidating person, but so was Napoleon, last I heard. Uh, Regardless, Derlon turns his forces around and starts marching back toward Ney's position at Catebra, just as he is about to move into position to allow Napoleon to absolutely destroy the Prussians he leaves the field of battle, Napoleon is absolutely livid, but there is nothing to be done about it and that's the end of the the game really we don't at the time we wouldn't know it but but in reality as it works out that's the end of the game because Blucher, although he is defeated uh is allowed to withdraw in pretty good order. He lost tens of thousands of men. He lost a lot of men, uh, uh, but he escapes. He's not captured as he could have been. Uh, and by the way, without without him, you know, and his determination to defeat the French and therefore help the British, I think most historians certainly I believe, and, and many that I know believe. That the Prussians would have headed back toward Prussia rather than heading north toward Vavra, uh, where they can eventually tie up with the British again. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just it's just one of those unbelievable disasters that domino effect line will 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 destroy any real chance for uh, victory. True. And it also has. Go,
1: go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to um, throw in a couple of things there about this the Battle of Ligny. I mean, uh, Chandler uh, obviously agrees with you and says, um, all too often the battles of Bras and Ligny are treated as mere preliminary skirmishes preceding the Battle of Waterloo two days later. This is very much to underrate their importance, especially in the case of Ligny, which was in many ways a major Napoleonic victory, but for the slipshod handling of Erlon's corps And the failure to pursue the defeated Prussians properly, the one error caused by defective staff work and sheer pig-headedness on the part of Ney, the other by a certain lapse of energy and clear-sightedness on the part of the Emperor, Ligny could to all practical interests have ended the campaign." For neither Wellington nor Blücher were really a match for l'armée du Nord if they were faced with its full strength on their own. Only if they could unite their forces and fight together was there a real chance of an allied victory. Thing is, Napoleon had the right strategy, as you said. Apart from dividing his forces, the the idea of defeating Blücher first uh, so he couldn't join up with the British... And uh, you know it was the right strategy. It was just poorly executed for a variety of reasons. And, you know, some of it uh, some of the blame obviously needs to go to Napoleon for <clears throat> the the selections he made for his staffing, as we discussed at length in the last episode. But there's, you know, this I, I want to get back to this point about Wellington as a commander um in the in the early parts of this this battle whilst, They were, as you said, taken by surprise. After Beaumont had defected and Napoleon's plans had been released, Wellington still doesn't really seem to have grasped very quickly what the hell was going on. Uh, Chandler writes, um, The greater part of the 13th, Wellington spent attending a cricket match with a fair companion. And the possibility (laughs) of imminent operations seems to have been far from the Iron Duke's mind. Nothing more substantial than rumours reached him on the 14th, and it was not until 3pm on the 15th, when Napoleon's offensive had already been progressing for close on nine hours, that Wellington received definite news that certain Prussian outposts near Thuin had been subjected to serious attack. And, but then he you know he still then prepares he, he issues bad orders first of all moving his troops in the wrong direction then he goes to the dance and um, I like what uh, Chandler writes here uh, 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 he t- I talked about the fact that his troops who were on the ground disobeyed his orders and uh, he writes, ...that the French cavalry encountered opposition between Frasner and Coitabras on the evening of the 15th was entirely due to the initiative of a couple of intelligent Allied officers who were prepared to risk Wellington's wrath and disobey the letter of his orders in order to pursue a course of action they felt more justified on account of their complete knowledge of local events. This act of insubordination also saved Wellington's reputation. Although his attendance at the Duchess of Richmond's Ball was by no means an indication of a careless or frivolous attitude towards events, indeed his prime reason for going was to instill a little confidence into the apprehensive citizenry of Brussels and Personally, a side note from me, this is a bit of British uh, sticking up for one's fellow countrymen, if, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he was completely neglecting his duty going to a bloody dance instead of being closer to the battlefield. But anyway, it was not until early in the morning of the 16th that Wellington at last awoke to the reality of the situation. So, and then it goes on like this. He So he starts getting notification from Blucher about what's happening. Um... The Prince of Orange came back suddenly, just as the Duke of Wellington had taken his place at the supper table and whispered some minutes to his grace. The Duke of Wellington remained nearly 20 minutes after this and then said to the Duke of Richmond, "'I think it is time for me to go to bed likewise.'" And then, whilst wishing him goodnight, whispered to ask him if he had a good map in the house. The Duke of Richmond said that he had, and took him into his dressing room. The Duke of Wellington shut the door and said, Napoleon has humbugged me by God. He has gained 24 hours' march on me. The Duke of Richmond said, What do you intend on doing? The Duke of Wellington replied, I have ordered the army to concentrate at Quatre Bras, but we shall not stop him there, and if so, I must fight him here. At the same time, passing his thumbnail over the position of Waterloo. I thought I'd bang the table just for more impact. He then said (laughs) adieu and left the house by another way out. So, look, you know, I don't want to get all of our British listeners upset here by besmirching the reputation of their wonderful Duke of Wellington. But, you know, I think we can agree here that... They knew Napoleon was back on the throne. They knew that French forces were making their way to Belgium. Perhaps do you think he could have taken it a little bit more seriously than to go to a cricket match with some floozy and go dancing? I mean, hello. Is this is this the sign of a truly great general? I'm sorry. I don't think so.
0: Well, first of all, Far be it from me
1: well, Hold come against no, to a no, 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 match. Now I need to upset our American listeners by saying him getting that news and then just sitting there for 20 minutes. Does that remind you of anyone?
0: Yes, I wasn't going to go there, and I was I was thinking maybe you didn't think of that, but of but course far, I did. Far, far, yes, far <laughs> and, and you're right. It, 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 it does ring a bell. Uh, far be it from me to to come out against uh, going to a cricket match with some floozy. Uh, you know, one must have one's priorities, I suppose. Uh, and I also do think, in, in fairness to Wellington, and I don't think Wellington is anywhere near the the commander that, that Napoleon is, and, and I, I respectfully disagree with, with our friends who have, have been making that argument on, on our website, and I'm enjoying very much the discussion, however, and, and I've actually tried to participate more actively uh, this last week or so than I often do. Uh, I think Napoleon has head and shoulders Wellington, but I also think it's true that it's easier for us to second-guess people retrospectively. Uh, and it's probably, you know, if we're Wellington here today to defend himself, I think he would probably say, listen, I had no idea that Napoleon himself was that close with that many soldiers and that our forces were arrayed in such a way that we're going to give him the opportunity that he had. Had I fully realized that, of course, I would have moved south with my own men. Sorry. Not acceptable, Your Grace.
1: Not acceptable. This is it's not like nobody knew who Napoleon was. This is This is 1815. He's been doing this to them for 20 years. You, you know this I uh, just I just don't think there's any excuse for for sitting on one's hands when one knows that the French are are approaching
0: well and, and I really agree with you were it me, I would like to think that I would have said you know the people of 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 uh, Brussels will be more inspired by a victory than they will be by my attendance at a ball uh and and I would have moved south but i I'm, I'm just trying to 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 point out in, in fairness, not just for this situation, but in many situations, it's a lot easier to to second guess uh, you know, two hundred years later. That said, you know, I basically agree that Wellington really should have taken more direct charge and really should have paid a bit more attention. Because if Napoleon had done things properly, then he, Wellington, would have been in deep doo-doo, because uh, he he would have been facing a major French army led by one of the three or four greatest military minds of history, perhaps even the greatest, uh, uh, who, who, who was arrayed against a British army that was not really all that well established. So uh, it's, at this stage, it's, it's Wellington's mistake, but it's even more so the disaster with Darlon and, and you alluded to this, and I wanted to just talk about a little bit, the question of pursuit. As anyone who studies battles like, like this from this time period knows, there's really two major opportunities to defeat and destroy your enemy. The first, of course, obviously, and most importantly, is the battle itself. You must win the battle before you can go to the second opportunity. But once you have defeated your enemy, assuming they don't just all surrender, which is not the case here, assuming that they are, in fact, going to retreat, which is typically the case, then you have the second opportunity to do two things. Number one, huge damage. And number two, have a full knowledge of where they're headed, and that is in the pursuit, normally led by cavalry, sometimes uh, equipped with uh, with very light mobile artillery, which is you know just wonderful to to wipe out you know masses of troops on and along roadways and so on. Uh, you you charge your enemy. No, an army is never at a more vulnerable position than when it is retreating. Uh, And this is true in the modern day as well. Think about the first Gulf War when uh, uh, America and Britain and Australia and lots of other countries, uh, rightfully, in in my opinion, uh, went to Kuwait to stop Saddam Hussein's uh, invasion of Kuwait. Uh, And then when they defeated the the, uh, Republican Guard and so forth uh, of of Saddam Hussein, uh, that Republican Guard was retreating. And many of us at the time said, and, and, and I don't want to get into a big discussion on this, you know, many of us felt that, that uh, the allied forces, uh, coalition forces, should have pursued because they could have just absolutely wiped out uh, the retreating military of Saddam Hussein. And, and who knows, that might have brought down uh, Sudan, uh, Saddam's government and And history might have been very, very, very different. You never know there were good political reasons not to do that. That's not really the issue here. The point is a retreating army is ripe for the picking, and the Prussians streaming out they've got their backs to you, their cannons not not set up uh you know you 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 attack behind them and and they're in trouble and and by the way, lest anyone think that's unfair uh a retreating army is fair game, whether it was Saddam's Republican guard in, in, in the first Gulf War or the Prussians after Ligny. Any retreating army is fair game. When they stop being fair game is when they lay down their arms, raise their hands, and say, I surrender. Then you have an obligation, a moral and legal obligation to allow them to surrender, to capture them, make them prisoners of war. Okay, That's fine. That was true at the time of the Gulf War, it was true at the time of, of the Napoleonic period as well. But if they don't surrender, if they're simply trying to get away so they can turn around and fight again the next day or whatever, then they're fair game. But Napoleon, and this is so unlike Napoleon, and I think it really shows that he wasn't entirely himself in, in this campaign. Napoleon dawdles. He's very slow. He really waits until the next day. I mean, by now the Prussians have already moved quite a ways away. And the next morning he, he calls in uh, uh, Grouchy, Marshal Grouchy. And he tells Grouchy, I'm going to give you about 30,000 men. is a, 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 a wing commander. He's, he, he's a cavalry officer. He's a good cavalry officer. Not a very good wing commander, but he's a good cavalry officer. I'm going to send you with 30,000 of my men, a lot, a lot of cavalry, and I want you to pursue uh, Grouchy. I want you to, as the French say, and and you see this in Napoleon's bulletins all through history, with with the sword in his back. I want you to keep him on the run. I want you to, to kill as many as you can or capture as many as you can. And most of all, I want you to keep, Gru- keep Blucher and the Prussians from being able to tie in with the British. I'm going to take the rest of my military, I'm Napoleon, I'm going to go join Ney, I'm going to go after the British next. You need to deal with the remnants of the Prussians. Now a lot of people, including me, routinely criticize Grouchy for doing a very really poor job uh, of this and one of my dearest friends in the napoleonic period uh, dr uh, john jerry gallagher uh, and i debate this uh, routinely as is is in a very friendly way as to whether or not napoleon was justified at waterloo as we see in the movie and i think really happened in real life you know where's grouchy you know he, he needed grouchy's men because it was napoleon That took too long, I believe, to send Grouchy. On the other hand, Grouchy did not have his force ready. When Napoleon was talking to, they were having lunch. Now this is partly Napoleon's fault again, waiting so late. But they were eating and they were not ready to get up and march. So it took hours for Grouchy's forces to be made ready. and to to go after uh, the Prussians. And at that stage, they didn't even know for sure where the Prussians were going. No one had bothered to send out scouting parties of cavalry to at least, you know, at a safe distance behind, let, you know, the the later French pursuit know where these clowns were. So it takes a long, long time before they even figure out where the Prussians have gone they think they're going to go out toward prussia instead they turn up toward vavra up north where they'll be able to tie in with with the british and they figure that out eventually and and Grouchy does have some uh, some success against them uh, but it's it's too late
1: so this is uh, you know uh, uh, to be fair a failure on behalf of napoleon which is quite astounding knowing that he knowing what he has at stake in this battle to allow what Chandler calls false, a combination of false optimism and fatigue, which led him to assume that everything was going according to his general plan. Blucher, he felt sure, was retiring in disorder towards Liege. Nay, he felt confident, must surely be in possession of the Quatre bras position, and Wellington equally certainly falling back in haste to protect Brussels. So sure was Napoleon that his assumptions were correct that he neglected to instruct Grouchy to send forward any sizable force of cavalry to confirm the Prussian line of retreat until after daybreak, and did not even think it advisable to send an aide overnight to Catra Bras to learn how Ney had fared. It was only very belatedly, therefore, that General Pejol was sent out with his cavalry to determine Blücher's present position. And so this is a, a, a very genuine and shocking Fairly because Napoleon was always a man about data, wasn't he? He, he earlier on in his career it was always about having better information, better data, and he was absolutely anal when it came to understanding figures and positions and movements. Do you think he, w- you know, I mean, I know that Chandler kind of blames it in part on his physical physical condition as a result of his almost year spent on Elba. Uh, what do you think? Well, I don't know
0: about that. I don't know about that, and I also want to point out that there have been other times in Napoleon's career where, where he didn't reckon order as as well as he as he could have. You go all the way back to the siege of of, of Acre, for example, or Akko, as it's known now in Israel, in, in seventeen ninety eight campaign in in Egypt in the Holy Land. Uh, he. He wouldn't send up the the hot air balloons that he had brought in in order to see uh, what what the defensive positions were like, and and that uh, uh, cost him uh, uh, dearly. Uh, think about the, re- the the strategic withdrawal. I almost said the retreat from 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 Russia, uh, where he he defeats uh, the, the 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 Russians uh, on his way out of town, uh, but then doesn't. Uh, send a reconnoitering force, which would have discovered that the road was open, and he could have he could have gone back on a more southerly route, which had not been uh, devastated by 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 the the, the the movement inward of the troops and the Battle of Borodino and Smolensk and so on. So you know there have been other times when when he hasn't been quite as good at reconnoitering. As 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 he could have been, and and this was certainly uh, uh, the situation. And 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 as Chandler points out, or or, or you pointed out in reading Chandler, uh, it's not just keeping an eye on 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 the Prussians. He's also not kept an eye on Ney. Now that's clearly a mistake. He is operating under the assumption. But, of course, Marshal Ney is doing exactly what he was told to do. And let's remember, listeners, he was told to take Quatre Bras to push the British north toward Brussels. That's his job. He had more than adequate forces to do that, given that the British force at Quatre Bras initially was pretty small and could have been swept aside. And, you know, Ney could have been halfway to Brussels by the time Napoleon caught up to him. And the British, although by no means destroyed, would have been on the retreat. Uh, They would have not been able to to, uh, consolidate their forces. Uh, Their morale would have been a lot lower and so on. But Ney had sat on his duff for a very, very long time. And Wellington, in the meantime, had been building up his forces uh, at Katarbray. It's just like a game of risk, for those of you who have played the, the old board risk. You know, you, you've given enough time, you can build up your forces and, and, and then prepare to move forward. And, and Wellington doesn't feel it's necessary to withdraw until he hears that Blucher has been defeated. And as Chandler points out, for all of my complaints about how it could have been a much greater victory, and in many ways the, the, the victory at, at Ligny was almost insignificant in terms of what's happening later. Because even though it's a, a victory and there's, there's a book out called you know, Ligny Napoleon's Last Victory and so on, it's very good, but, but the fact of the matter is it really didn't matter because it didn't accomplish the one goal that it had to accomplish, which was not just to kill you know, 20 or 30,000 uh, Prussians. That's, that's nice, but that's not really going to matter if the remaining Prussians are gonna be able to help uh, Wellington. What really matters, I mean, it'd been better if they didn't kill a single Prussian, but simply got them to retreat toward Prussia and out of the action so then they could turn on Wellington. You know, that's, that's what had to be done, and, and, and that wasn't done.
1: So according Nevertheless, to, go ahead. Uh, so according to Chandler now, they have three possible courses from this point on. Uh, the first one is they could take the, the majority of their forces and go after Blucher and try and force a, a second engagement to, to finish the job that they didn't finish it at, at Ligny. Linier, they could, and and while they're doing that, leave Ney to keep an eye on Wellington. Second option is they could leave Grouchy with a skeleton force to pursue the Prussians and then take the majority of the force and fall on top of Wellington and try and crush him. The third option is to detach Grouchy with uh, his 33,000 men to go after the Prussians take the remaining 69,000 and go after Wellington. Now, Chandler says it's possible that either of the first two options would have served Napoleon better. But in the end, he selected the third, being convinced that the Allies must be held apart, even at the price of employing as much as a third of his strength to ensure that this was done.
0: Well, I think Chandler's correct. And and again, I, I was reluctant to come down too hard on, on Wellington, uh, because it's always easier to second guess people a couple of hundred years later, uh, and, and I will do the same thing with Napoleon. It's it's always easier to second guess. Clearly, if you weren't going to pursue immediately or be very early the next morning uh, with thirty thousand men, uh, then you could make a very uh, persuasive argument that you know send send 10,000 men mostly cavalry and maybe a few light uh, artillery you know to keep an eye on on Blücher uh, just strong enough so that if Blücher turns around you can you can defend yourself well and then you know beat beat your own hasty retreat and then close in on 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 the british with with a larger force now whether an additional 20,000 or 25,000 men uh would have made a difference if, if Napoleon had had that many uh, with him at Waterloo. Uh, it's, it's a little hard to say. I think more importantly than, in terms of its effect than that was the fact that Ney really let Napoleon down, and Napoleon didn't realize it. If Napoleon had realized they had had really done nothing and that the British were uh, able to leave relatively unmolested uh, then maybe maybe he would have uh, kept more of his men with him to when he joined Ney. But remember, because he hadn't kept in good contact with Ney, and again, a good chief of staff would have taken the initiative, Berthier would almost certainly have had runners going back and forth to making sure that he, Napoleon's chief of staff, knew what was going on. Uh, so you get, again, back to the fact that Berthier, you know, Died under what many believe was mysterious circumstances, and was not available uh, to to Napoleon so because Napoleon doesn't know what Ney has done, Napoleon assumes that the British are already being pushed north, that maybe they've uh, had some heavy losses inflicted on them. He knows the French haven't been defeated because you know there's there's no you know, streaming back toward Napoleon of the remnants of Ney's army. Because clearly Ney's soldiers would have retreated, you know, toward Napoleon uh, had they been defeated. So, you know, Napoleon, lacking evidence to the contrary, believes that Ney has done his job. He arrives to join Ney, uh, of course, is furious when he finds out that Ney, in fact, hasn't done anything near the job he was supposed to have done. But at that point, it's a fait accompli. At that point, Napoleon sits there. He's already sent Grouchy after the Prussians. It's realistically too late to call any of them back. But secondly, he says, okay, I've still got, what did you say, 69, 70,000 troops. The, the, The British are retreating, and we can still win this thing because Grouchy, the the advantage that Grouchy has now, he's got a good-sized army. He can give serious combat to the Prussians if and when he catches them. And so, you know, he doesn't have to worry about his force being destroyed. He's He's in good shape. So assuming that Grouchy can keep the Prussians out of the action, Napoleon can still defeat the British. And so Napoleon shrugs his shoulders, I suppose, and says, you know, this is not gone the way it should have. But the fact of the matter is, I can still come out of this with a major victory. And so on the evening of the 17th of May of 1815, Napoleon and Ney and their soldiers arrive at Waterloo uh, and, and of course, Wellington's been there already. Uh, he's managed to pick out the the high ground. He's managed to put his forces into a reasonably decent defensive position, which is not good news for Napoleon. But Napoleon arrives. It's pouring rain. They spend the night. And on the morning of the 18th of June, both sides wake up. Wellington uh, on Mont Saint-Jean and Napoleon across the valley uh, from them facing each other for what will become an epic battle of the ages.
1: You sound like you're wrapping up.
0: I thought that might be a reasonable place to quit.
1: <laughs> it probably is.
0: Well, it's been an hour sixteen, and, you and know, we haven't uh, even got it, to the Battle we- of
1: Waterloo yet. You told me fifteen to twenty minutes for this episode, sir. Well, you you surely didn't think I was serious. <laughs> Before we do finish, we will wrap up, but a couple of stuff, uh, a couple of things here that I'll throw in from Channel, which I think is good. You know, I've been a little bit harsh on uh, Wellington's. Ability as a general in this episode, and I believe deservedly so. But uh, when we're talking about Napoleon's failure to uh, reconnoitre and get good information on the results of the battles of the 16th, uh, Wellington, on the other hand, does the right thing. He uh, passed the night at Genappe. But early on the 17th, moved back to Catebra. There at 7.30am, he learned for the first time what had befallen Blucher the previous day. In marked contrast to Napoleon, the Iron Duke had insisted on sending out a cavalry patrol under a trusted staff, staff officer during the very early hours to discover the outcome of Ligny. Now Colonel Gordon returned to reveal that the Prussians have sustained a heavy defeat. Old Blucher has had a damned good licking and gone back to Wavre, the Duke remarked to Captain Bowles of the Coldstream Guards. As he has gone back, we must go too. I suppose in England they will say we have been licked. I can't help it. As they are gone back, we must go too. So he actually went out and, and got his own information for of what had happened. He wasn't as... As uh, blasé, uh, perhaps, as Napoleon was. But then we have, he talks about Napoleon uh, reaching Ney's corps. Says, uh, pushing on immediately for cutter bra, he found the absence of any sound of a cannonade distinctly worrying. He suddenly came yes. upon the troops of Ney's command, blithely sitting about on the road verges, enjoying their rations. In a burst of fury, he immediately ordered them to their feet and to form their ranks, but it was only at 2pm that the troops were ready to advance. Napoleon now realised that his golden opportunity was already fast slipping him by. Turning to Dirlon, he said, France has been ruined. Go, my dear general, and place yourself at the head of the cavalry and pursue the rear guard vigorously. Fate, however, had turned its face away from Napoleon. It is possible, even probable, that Napoleon would have succeeded in catching up with Wellington and forced him to fight there and then, but for an adverse turn in the weather. At this juncture, a colossal thunderstorm burst overhead, and within minutes the ground was turned into a quagmire. This ruled out any moves across country, and the French pursuit was consequently confined to the roads. So, as you have now taken us to the evening of the 17th we shall close it up ladies and gentlemen just over an hour for this episode (laughs) you're going to have to wait for episode 34 for the actual Battle of Waterloo what we'll call this one Um, I've got to come up with a name for this episode now it's been a joy and uh, once again thank you to all of our new listeners and uh, thank you to everybody who's been participating in the comments section of the blog and in Facebook and sending us emails. I mean, it's, we've said this many times and we'll say it again. It's the, it's the feedback that we get that uh, makes this all worthwhile. It's, it's fabulous to hear that so many people are are learning and enjoying the, the adventure. It's, it's, it is
0: indeed. Uh, It's a real pleasure to read your comments and get your emails. And I get behind on the emails and comments occasionally, but I do my best to catch up eventually. And, uh, keep them coming, and, and we're all having a, a great time doing this, and, and, uh, and apparently we're going to keep doing it for a long time to come.
1: Almost.